All right, we're recording. Hey, this is Ali Amagasu, and I'm welcoming you back to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. This is episode two of our most recent fall season. We took a break for a while, so those of you who didn't join us to catch our first episode back, welcome. We're uh, happy to be on the air and sharing with you again. Hey, this time uh, we have another non-Cisco guest, and we're excited because he's talking about something we haven't talked about enough lately, and that's security in the cloud. Uh, he wrote a real interesting article that caught my attention, so I asked him if he would come on the show and, and talk about it a little bit more. Uh, his name is Ian Tibble. He's all the way over in the UK. Good afternoon, Ian. Welcome. Good afternoon. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. And hey, Pete, thank you as always for being on the show. How are things in Michigan? Things are things are nice in Michigan. It's fall's my favorite time of year here. And uh, before we get to Thanksgiving and you know, all the white stuff starts to fall and never leaves. It's it's a really nice time of year. We'll have some leaves changing here pretty soon. For the listeners, we were just talking about weather before before we started, and and uh, Ian was mentioning how it's it's turning fall in the UK. Nice crispy evenings. Same here in in Southern California. What's funny here is uh, yesterday it got down to 77 was the high Ooh, yesterday. Did you, need a, did you need a sweater, Allie? Well, that's what I was going to say. Degrees. The funny thing is, the kids all were wearing long sleeves to school. Yeah. Like Southern California kids are like. 77. <laughs> Chilly. Chilly. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not really being prepared for life anywhere else on the planet. <laughs> they have to live here. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, Ian, what was the name of the article I saw that uh, that you wrote? Pete, what was the article? I uh, Exercising Dark Readings Cloud Demons. Yes. And I think the subtitle had something to do with cloud blind spots. Cloud blind yeah. spots. That's what I liked. That is yeah. what drew my attention. That's what got me to read it in the first place. So tell us what what uh, provoked you to write that article first, Ian, and uh, what's what's your experience, what's your background before we get into talking about specifics of the of the article. Okay, so my my background is I from my sins I've been a security professional uh, for a, pretty much twenty years. I got into security in the late nineties, joined a penetration testing and research laboratory in Bangkok, Thailand with um, some of my colleagues uh, from former Slavic countries. Um, so our clients were all based in the region. So Singapore, Australia, uh, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Singapore. And what was interesting was that those were completely uh, simulated attacks. So, you know, most penetration testing engagements these days are entirely based on a fixed source IP address, uh, which which is very restrictive, uh, the time of day that the testing can be performed, the type of exploit that can be used, there's, there's all kinds of controls. I won't bore you with a rundown of my entire career, but yeah. those those were the first five years or so. And then as time went on, I got a little bit more customer-facing, a little bit more business-oriented, and then up to uh, – so I'll, I'll skip – the middle 15 years or so and take you up to 2015 which is my first cloud engagement and in that time I've been mostly an architect resource on um, uh, cloud migration type engagements where either you know uh, applications are being migrated from on-premise or they're being developed for the cloud to be hosted in the cloud uh, along with all the associated infrastructure. And I've been involved in the energy sector, mostly public sector in the UK. So government clients are going through a program 
in the UK that they call digital transformation right now. Um, so I've been with the Ministry of Justice, Department for Education, um, and then most recently was um, a, HS, a, a small project with HSBC here in the UK. Um, there's a multitude, well, I say a multitude, there's, there's three main candidates um, that most people associate with cloud in the UK. Um, I'm sure Cisco will be there one day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, right right now it's it's the usual candidates so Microsoft Azure AWS Google Cloud um i've had the privilege i guess you could say of um of working on all three of those infrastructures um so that takes me up to the current day really uh, i'm also developing my own software called netdelta um i won't talk too much about that but that's also cloud based in Linode in the US. I've got another one here in the UK and uh, a kind of backup availability option in, in Google Cloud as well. Very interesting. Thank you for that background. Now, wait, uh, before we proceed with our original conversation, what is NetDelta? It's at the moment it's quite low footprint and that's reflected in the price. But what it what it does is um, it uh, does port scans at scheduled intervals in time. And if it finds a, a delta from one scan to the next it sends an alert and it does um false positives detection and i'm going to drop a buzzword here uh it uses analytics to detect false positives uh so uh i i've got some uptake globally but i haven't really pushed it as commercially as much as i would like um because it's just me it's quite hard to do all the development and focus on that as well but i've got uh customers in finland canada and hopefully a few more coming. All right. Well, everybody, there's your little pitch for there's a pitch for Net Delta. So check it out if it sounded compelling to you. Certainly aptly named. Couldn't be more appropriate than Net Delta for what it's doing. Right. Um, thank you. <laughs> so so th that article, I want to be sure I don't mislead people. What's interesting is you weren't really talking when you wrote your piece. It wasn't <clears> really about you weren't saying listing cloud blind spots. You were saying, hey, Dark Reading had recently written a piece about cloud blind spots and you're saying that maybe there were some false red flags there or that in your case in your case you said some FUD was there and and maybe these things aren't as big a deal or aren't unique to cloud yeah so I'd love it if you could uh if you could go through some of the things in the list and and give us uh, a feeling for what what provoked you did you read that article and it just all of a sudden you're saying hey this doesn't jive with what I'm seeing in real life oh uh, well no it's it, it does match with what I'm seeing in, in real life. Um, I guess my point was the point, the concerns that were laid out, there was seven of them, if I remember correctly, uh, were definitely not, not unique to cloud. Mm. And I think those organizations that are struggling with the things that were called out um, are probably struggling with that on-premise as well. You know, they, they talk about uh, asset management was one of them. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a good example because I think in cloud, um, asset management is considerably easier to do, you know, from the point of view of, of being able to um, figure out what are in your subscriptions. Uh, that's that's the that's the Azure phrase, the Google phrases uh, uh, project. And um, it's you know there there could theoretically there could be problems with things like shadow IT in cloud, but. If that's the case, then most likely the same problems will exist on on premise. Um, but if 
the organization has control over their subscriptions and they they're able to control access to those subscriptions then you know with an admin perspective it's it's seems to me a lot easier to track assets in the cloud than it would be on premise where you might have to engage some kind of asset discovery uh, layer two layer three type scanning uh, methodologies in order to detect what you have you know because what tends to happen on premise is um the classic excel spreadsheet which gets lost when people leave and you know it's not properly updated it's all completely manual and that's that seems to me a much harder problem to deal with than the one in cloud where you can see vms in your uh, subscriptions when you access the portal one of the other points that was mentioned was logging um, and really i don't see a major problem there's i think when when you do sas a serverless it is possible to lose some control over logging at the operating system level uh, that's that's for sure but um the difference between logging uh, in cloud and on-premise there's it's not more difficult or challenging in cloud sas or or serverless definitely makes it more challenging but that's not to say that you don't have logs from your sas platforms and obviously with is you have full control uh, so that, that was just a couple of examples you know so some of the others there, there there was none of the others in the list that really struck me as being unique to cloud you know i think they definitely are problems on premise as well and the organization would be fairly unlikely to be struggling with cloud uh if they weren't struggling on premise I hope <laughs> that makes if that makes any sense it makes perfect sense yeah i think my my favorite quote from your write-up ian was towards the end where you say cloud is just someone else's computer and just someone else's network i think that sums it up really well that if it almost doesn't matter where that VM is running. You you still have some security responsibility. And we and we were talking in the prep session about like AWS's shared responsibility model is is right in that same line too. So I guess did you see? And I guess this is so much of a historical question. Did did you see did you see a shift in the way that people thought about security when we went from bare metal to VMs? And is and then really is is this an extension of that conversation as opposed to where the, the that VM is physically running? That's a great question. Um, I I didn't. Um, but my I, I mean I think it's important to qualify that there's you know I follow a lot of social media. Um, I've got contacts in the US. You know, I used to work for True Secure. Uh, I was based in Asia Pacific. There's now Verizon Business. And um, True Secure in the US had 200,000, I think it was, yeah, I'm trying to remember. They, they had 200 active clients at any one time in the US. So so I used to to hear a lot about the stories coming out of the United States about security. And I visited uh, Herndon VA. Um, and I I just felt like there was a much higher level of, of awareness in the US. And, you mm. know, guys like Dr. Anton Juvakin, uh, who I've got regular contact with, tell me interesting stories that, um, you know, if you if you look at the the situation in, in SIEM, S-I-E-M or logging, uh, it seems a lot more mature in the US than it is here in, in the UK. And I've done security all over the world. And <laughs> I'm sad to say that the the UK is uh, somewhere near the bottom of that list. Um, 
you know the reasons for that are, are a story for for another day but uh i would guess i guess the point is that um awareness was quite low before the cloud um and then going to the cloud there wasn't really any perception that things changed a great deal from what i saw but you know maybe i'm just unlucky it's maybe there was in in other organizations right but but what i saw was yeah you know it's 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 a I think just another computer or just someone else's computer or just someone else's network, uh, that wasn't really a concept. Uh, it was seen as just another IT challenge, I, I would say was would be the best way to describe it, as opposed to another security challenge. Because, um, I mean, on-premise security challenges don't seem to be handled particularly well in most places, if I'm, if I'm being honest. You know, the level of awareness... Uh, could be a lot higher. Hmm. Interesting. Do you do you think in general? Do you, do you think the 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 security set struggles with how struggles with the the speed of deployment now? Because it it used to be. I mean, when I first started working professionally in this field in the early '90s, if you released quarterly, you were really moving, right? Like that was. That was that was considered fast back then. And now somebody like Netflix is releasing multiple times an hour. Yeah. So do you think that I mean, it's a pretty huge shift we've seen in in deployment speed. And do you do you think uh, things like, you know, lack of awareness of architectures and things like that in the security in 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 people who are, are focused on security? Do you, do you think they struggle with that change in speed more so than in other aspects of, of software development and tech in general? I would say they, they're struggling with most things. I mean, I, I know that sounds blunt and harsh, but uh, it's frankly, that's that's the truth. And uh, I w- most places probably don't have, I mean, they don't have DevOps processes, uh, e- even in complex environments where there's 80 plus applications being migrated and hosted in the cloud and you know there's constant changes whether or not there's development happening there's there probably could or should be some devops processes around it uh, so the the speed aspect is something that um, I would say speed has been zero <laughs> uh, to, to be blunt um, but then in other cases uh, it's definitely I, th- I think there are you know, I've I've heard stories about about the the speed of deployment. There's there's so few security professionals who have been able to shift from on-premise to cloud, or if they got into security in the last five years, are not sufficiently technically oriented um, to get into it. I mean, you talk about Docker containers and orchestration and those types of concepts, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, right they're quite alien to, to most people in this sector is what I find. And that's, that's also what I see as a major difference between the UK and the United States is that awareness in the United States seems to be higher. So, so what, what do you think that means for the outlook of, you know, as, as we move, I mean, like, let's, let's take this a step at a time as, as we move from sort of traditional on-prem VM-based applications to microservices-based container applications is the step that's sort of happening now. Yeah. What, what do you think the risks are there 
the security risk we might be taking on as an as an industry because security people that we've relied on so heavily in previous iterations are sort of taking to this more slowly yeah i I think there is a risk for sure that's um it's a great point actually um so one of the things that probably needs to be called out is about application security and embedding the application security testing aspects into the development process right because that's the flip side of that right is that the application developer is now more aware of security so some of the things that maybe the previous application architecture generation suffered from maybe they don't suffer from because some of those things are built into kubernetes and some of those things you're you're forced to deal with as an app developer that you didn't used to be yeah um I, i would say i mean it's actually one of the points that was called out in in the exercising dark reading cloud cloud demons uh, article was about the you know the changes in technology and how security lagging behind. So whereas that was given as a blind spot and a reason not to go to cloud or 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 just to be aware of, not necessarily to not migrate, it was called out as a point that security seems to be lagging behind, and I'm seeing the same thing definitely in in the uk so in terms of the risks that could be introduced i think you're you're absolutely right so so i'm seeing the same thing the security mantle is being taken on by people who are developers so they're devops people on on premise we used to see the same thing with network engineers so the you know the security mantle the gap would be that the void would be filled by devops or network engineers um where security didn't step up or they failed to engage for for whatever reason and in the cloud in development we're seeing application developers make decisions about security testing and the security aren't really being engaged in that that discussion properly and that that's a problem because whereas developers uh, I, I personally find a lot of developers are very knowledgeable about application security issues like those from the OS top 10, for example. You know, everyone has different experiences about that. The attack mindset isn't there. So there's no right. there's no aspect of risk. You know, it's uh, you, you don't necessarily have to, to fix everything. So you run a, an application if you do blind testings with a tool like uh, Burp Suite, for example. That will give you some things to look at. You don't necessarily have to fix all of those. It, and some things that application developers decide not to fix, perhaps they should have. So, you know, the, the attack mindset isn't there. There's going to be problems. So you've got a group that typically isn't involved in looking at holistic, you know, the holistic picture of risk across the estate. That's that's not application developer or architect's role. Uh, but those are the those are the people right now who are making decisions about risk, and that's that's a risk in itself. Yeah, so that sounds like something that the if you're in IT leadership, whether it's a CIO or you know a line of business leader, it sounds like that's on you to somehow connect your security yeah. team and make sure that they're communicating and working with the application developers, right? Because otherwise, yeah, you're just hoping you've got an application developer with terrific awareness and that attack mindset that you mentioned which he probably doesn't have, he or she probably doesn't have, and they're being forced to, uh, you know, kind of cover what may be a gap. And so Absolutely. I would think, 
yeah, if you're an IT leader, then it's kind of, it's on you to look at that. And that's an interesting point. Are your security teams communicating with your app developers? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's on, on all of these projects I, I just described, there's, there's no enterprise architecture or enterprise security architecture for you. So, you know, there may, there may be, it happens in the organization, but for whatever reason, it's just not really engaged properly. So that's, that's where it comes from. But I'm, I'm also not convinced there is this awareness about the attack mindset in, in the security sector either and how important it is. But, um, you know, I think that's a story for another day. <laughs> Do you see this getting better or getting worse as we move forward? So we're, we're kind of in this microservices revolution now, but, but things like serverless and even no code are, are beyond that where in serverless as an application developer, I'm not even responsible for my operating system anymore, let alone my network or anything yeah. you know, below that. And as no code, you know, as my grandmother is going to be able to write applications, you know, through a couple of drag and drops on some GUI and not even have to know a programming language, um, you're you're relying on the platforms to embed more security. So is that so do you think we're headed for for more trouble there because there's going to be more people writing applications or, or are we going to be in less trouble there because the platforms are going to embed more security into their stacks. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a great point. Again, I mean it, I I kind of see it 180 degrees flip from that. They're they're really, they're really valid points. Um, but yeah, to answer the question, the the second part about serverless and SaaS based solutions, where you're relying on the cloud provider to look after your operating systems, I th I honestly think that comes with a lot of hazards that don't seem to have really been embraced by by the security community or the IT community in general. The thing about more people developing apps, they guess that that could be an, a similar type of problem where you know you're losing some of the uh, granular control that that could lead to issues. But I see personally, I think a bigger aspect of of going serverless and handing more responsibility to cloud providers, I think that's that's quite hazardous, you know, from the point of view of, okay, when we were on premise, we had system admins, we had network engineers, we had people who were responsible for various different IT stacks. And these operating systems that are composed of 40 million plus lines of, of source code, are quite complex and they have a lot of configuration options that are available to us that we can use to to make security related changes we uh, we can install patches and if a patch install goes wrong as they often do or it breaks some dependencies we can go in with admin rights and fix those now in the cloud situation it's all out of our hands you know so i think we need to look at it as as hazardous i think um you know when you're talking about migrating services to the cloud if as you mentioned earlier you know you're you're losing the responsibility and the costs associated with managing your data center and all the rat's nests of cables and so on that's that's great that's absolutely no problem but then moving to higher up the stack i think it might be pushing it too far if we also 
allow complete responsibility over our operating systems uh, with a cloud service provider because of how busy the IT admins were when everything was on premise. You know, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of dependencies to solve. There's a lot of things to fix. And that's not all application layer stuff. That's that's operating system layer stuff as well. In the security perspective, I think the vulnerability assessment side is impacted because now we can't do credential scanning anymore. So, you know, if, if you ask a cloud provider if I can connect, connect my credential scanner to secure shell port 22 or SMB ports on a Windows device to do your credential scan, the answer will be no. Uh, I, well, there actually won't be an answer. You know, that's part of the business agreement that that you signed up for when when you, you signed the contract with a cloud provider. So you're sort of running blind with vulnerability assessment. And then on the other side is, is Siemen logging. Now, if you develop your own um, application stack, you can make you can get it doing JSON logs and sending syslog streams out to to a log server at the application layer. At the operating system layer, you'll have some visibility of, of events at that layer, but you don't have any control over what's being logged and, and what isn't. So I mean these are just things to be aware of. It's it's absolutely sure. it's absolutely not the case that don't do cloud because of this. It's more just be aware of this, you know, and um in, in some cases, handing over the entire operating system to a cloud provider and never getting admin rights for your in, internal staff who are, who are more familiar with the applications and infrastructure that's being migrated from, from on-premise, and suddenly they don't have access anymore. Uh, these, these are just things to be, to be aware of, really. Well, if you're, if you're taking an application that ran on VMs on-prem and you had all those sec devops kind of people in and you're just taking those vms and running them in cloud i completely agree with you but it, but in some of these other form factors like there's still people curating operating systems let's say in amazon lambda they just all have amazon employee ids so i guess that that's a, a lot of that stuff i mean there's potential for holes that maybe they aren't doing everything that you're doing but it's not yeah. like they're not doing nothing and yeah so I, I, and that's a different form factor where the same the same practices that work with VMs on-prem don't necessarily work with containers in the cloud or with serverless in the cloud. So sh- should we necessarily be focusing on the tactics, the day-to-day security tactics that we did on-prem and instead be looking at some of the higher level concepts that might that, that might better, uh, transcend whatever your compute unit might be. Pete, you're going to a place that I was going to, which was I was going to ask Ian, you know, if we have all these, if we have some vulnerabilities, there's some trade-offs and honestly struggles that both on-prem and cloud deployments have. What are the best practices then? What are a few best practices that you could share maybe, Ian? I think that's where you're you're getting a little bit, Pete, your question was more yeah. specific, but I'd like if you could answer Pete's question, maybe expand a little bit to what are some best practices if I'm an IT leader hearing this and going, all right, there's some weaknesses either way. My staff may be struggling. There may be a lack of communication between security pros on my team and app developers and things like that. What are best practices as a as a whole that I should be taking when I'm dealing with cloud? Uh, best practices to achieve what end? Sorry, I, I'm, I think Well, I'm to missed. achieve a secure cloud environment. There's, there's a lot of people in this sector who don't like the use of the phrase best practice. Um, because. <laughs> 
it makes it sound like security is a checklist or something. But, you know, best practices from the point of view of there are some things to remember and let's yeah. use that that checklist to remind me that's that's fine. I just want to um, I just want to, you know, so that exercise that other demon uh, that that um, a lot of people see with when they talk about best practices. But fair enough. Yeah, I mean, every every situation is unique and you make decisions based on on your assessment of risk and vulnerability. And what may come out the other end of that is uh, is a complete variable. You know, like, for example, it's it's not a guarantee that we have firewalls. Probably in most cases, not guaranteed we have antivirus. Anyway, so the best practice is are really hard to generalize on. And by the way, I'm not saying don't go serverless and don't go SaaS. When you talk about the differences between cloud and on-premise and best practices, for me, that's the major one. It's just, just to be aware of what happens when you do go SaaS. You lose access to the operating system. And the way that your operating systems will be managed will be exactly the same as every every one of the other tenants. There won't be any differences. You you could ask them to do things for you, but they probably won't even answer. It's because, you know, that's that's part of the business arrangement that, that you have. Um, so, you know, as an example, Config is an interesting virus and it, and it uses the at scheduling service in Windows to stay prevalent. Um, now, your cloud service provider doesn't really know uh, whether you want that turned on or off. So what they tend to do is is err on the side of caution and have it turned on. And, you know, the risk around this may not be be severe, but it's th those are things. Yeah, it's just an example of, of what can go wrong, really. If you look at the CIS benchmarks for, for different operating systems, that there's a lot of things to think about there. You know, in, in the case of Windows, there's there's hundreds of controls that you need to think about. And in SaaS or serverless situations, that's that's all out of your hands. There's nothing you can do about that. You just have to make assumptions about what the, the cloud provider has done there. And in, in some cases, it's okay. In other cases, not. The other best practices, I think, are very, are very similar with on-premise. Uh, for me, the big one is about serverless. Pete, I know I screwed up your question. Did it get answered? No, that's okay. No, that's okay. We can. Uh, I was, I was pretty much done. Yeah, were you? Yeah. You know, I, I want to ask you though. What? Um. So, so what you're hearing here. Um. I know you're a big serverless advocate, and I know Ian was saying don't go serverless. But is is it really just when you? When you when you use one of these services, like say you use Lambda, or or you're just going to the cloud in a more traditional manner, do you just have to put on your parachute and assume it's going to open, security-wise? <laughs> well, I think the, the biggest the biggest things is that is if you go back historically, like the difference between physical servers and VMs was not that big of a form factor change. It's a little bit bigger between going between VMs and containers. There's still the notion of a, a Linux or a Windows shell there. The biggest thing about serverless is a completely different construct. And, and part of what gives you better security in the serverless world, you, you mentioned Lambda. I mean, your, your Lambda functions sit on disk until an event causes it to get loaded into a unit of compute. And in Amazon, that unit of compute is a Firecracker mini VM 
that has a lifespan of a few milliseconds. So as opposed to a Docker container or a server daemon running on a VM or a server daemon running on a bare metal server, these are all legacies of how we did client server in the past, that those server daemons are running 24 seven. There's a pretty big difference between the attack surface on a server daemon that's running 24 seconds, 24 seven, and a micro VM that's running for a few milliseconds. So just like the chance that you have to penetrate that unit of compute and muck around with it as a hacker, like it's, it's, an, it's several orders of magnitude different in terms of just from a timeline perspective, what that attack surface is. So it, when you think of it, so it's a completely different construct. It's a completely different way of thinking about compute than we have been thinking about for the last 35 years. And, and that's that's why I think it's such a big deal is because it, it it's a game changer in all those ways. I, I compare it very much, and this dates me quite a bit, if you ever did anything with, with DOS and then, I did. And, then you, and then you saw a Mac for the first time yeah. or you eventually saw Windows 95 or even Windows NT, those are two completely different transformative experiences. And it's... It's that level of, of change as we go from these, you know, client server server daemon based application approaches to something that's completely different because now we can launch a unit of compute in milliseconds where we yeah. we've not been able to do that in, you know, Alan Turing never 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 theorized that when he came up with the Turing machine in 1936 that you'd be able to do something like that and and really all of computing is based on the idea that it's really hard to spin up a unit of compute. And now all of a sudden it's not. Yeah. I love yeah. that, Pete. Great answer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that describes some architectures. You know, I think um, so, you know, if you look at Google Kubernetes engine, uh, you see something similar there. So microservices are popping in and out of existence. But what, what it does is present a an interface to the world that's, less hackable than it would be in the permanently available on-premise situation but it's, yeah. there is still a risk but then there's the other side of serverless where they're they're vms essentially you don't have any visibility about what goes on un, under the cover but you all you have no idea whether they're managed in the same way as lambda or what what actually happens you know you can get logs from the from those stacks as well it's not a complete disaster and the other flip side as well, although I've, you know, I've been talking doom and gloom, the attacker's way of accessing uh, a Windows or a, or a Unix host would be via the admin ports. Typically, that's what they'd look at first, unless they saw some other interesting ports. But in the SaaS and serverless situation, all they've got is the application layer, which makes their life harder to compromise a, a hosting cloud as well. So, you know, it's, this serverless is, is far from a disaster uh, in security. I think it's just good to be aware about the differences in vulnerability assessment and logging, though. Hey, um, as somebody who knows nothing about how security works, either in the cloud or on-prem, I have a question because I, I feel like uh, ransomware stories are such a regular part of our daily news thread now. 
that yeah. all these ransomware attacks are coming through and companies are just accepting that in some cases we have to pay X amount of dollars. Do we know what what attack surfaces those are happening on? Like, Actually, I mean, the, the serverless example is pretty good one there, actually, because I think serverless comes out better. So, you know, if you look at WannaCry as an example, that was based on SMB ports, which wouldn't be accessible uh, from a cloud subscription, you know. So in terms of vulnerabilities with vulnerabilities, uh, VMs running in the cloud, uh, WannaCry wouldn't have a chance uh, unless, you know, th- by some bizarre sequence of events, you could get it from another tenant as a result of poor management that goes on behind the scenes. But that I just think that's just so unlikely. It's probably not even worth worth talking about. Um, so, you know, moving to cloud, I think on on the big on the macro scale of managing lots of VMs. Um, as I saw from Jason Chan in Netflix, I saw his presentation in 2011 or 12, I think it was on SlideShare, um, when you, you're you're talking about um, security controls across large estates. It, it's just so much easier to do that in cloud uh, than it is on premise. You can manage it from a management zone, propagate all your changes. You can even go to to full just not actually opening admin ports whatsoever and uh, going down the road of of just managing infrastructure from Git repositories. Uh, I don't think there's too many doing that, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's all good, you know, and I'm sure using the example of WannaCry, I'm really sure that's a patch that, that would have been installed by cloud service providers as well. All right. Fair enough. Thank you for indulging that question. Pete, do you have anything else? No, I'm good. You're good. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ian. We really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us and talking to us about security and, and talking to us about your article. It was really interesting. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's nice talking to you guys. All right. Thanks so much. Have a terrific day and uh, stay in touch. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks.